Donald Trump in the Fulton County Jail, arrested, booked, fingerprinted, released on his own recognizance. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows it. Welcome to the new Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Bill Nygut. It has been a historic night in Atlanta. Former President Donald Trump surrenders. He's fingerprinted. He poses for a mugshot at the Fulton County Jail. That mugshot on the front page of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution this morning, and of course, seen in newspapers all over the world. Patricia Murphy and Greg Bluestein baked under a hot sun at the Fulton County Jail throughout much of the day today. And um, it must have been quite a spectacle. Patricia? Yeah, it was um, it was surreal. That's the only way to describe it. After all of us covering Donald Trump for so many years, um, after witnessing and covering so many of the events that are the subject of this prosecution, to then see Donald Trump and his motorcade that we've seen a million times before, but this time it's driving into the Fulton County Jail. There's um, almost no way to describe it. It was it was frankly very much like a funeral. Greg Lustein? Yeah, Patricia nailed it. Because we covered so many of these events that led up to the indictments. You know, we we covered uh, the Coffee County turmoil. We covered the intimidation of Shay Moss and Ruby Freeman. We obviously covered the Brad Raffensperger tape. We covered Donald Trump's pressure on Governor Brian Kemp. We, we, I mean, all these things. And now we're seeing the culmination, or at least not a culmination, but a new chapter in um, in everything that we've been covering the last three years with the start of a legal trial that will go on for years. And there'll be a lot more to talk about there. But we, we truly saw the, the beginning of a new saga here. And AJC Washington reporter Tia Mitchell, you were hundreds of miles away from the Fulton County Jail when Trump arrived, but the reverberations of his booking are going to be felt in Washington on your beat. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We already are seeing, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene told Greg earlier this week that she's been talking to House Republican leaders. Well, they followed through today. I think it was no coincidence that on the same day that Trump was turning himself in, the House Judiciary Committee, which is chaired by Representative Jim Jordan, a big Trump supporter, um, he sent a letter to Fonnie Willis saying he was launching an investigation, demanding records and communications, um, you know, accusing her of politicizing her office, going after Donald Trump for political reasons. So it's not just the trial that we're going to see play out in Fulton County, but it's likely we're going to see much more here in Washington um, as House Republicans who are loyal to Trump um, go after Fonnie Willis. And we're waiting now to see what she says about that letter from Jim Jordan. Yeah, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that as the show continues. Uh, Later on, Tia, you're going to lead us in a conversation about the fact we are about to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Plus, it's Listener Mailbag Day on Political Rewind. And we'll ask everybody who's up and who's down as the week comes to an end. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, 
you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Thank you for joining us for Politically Georgia. Obviously, the biggest story in the country and across the world, really, is the fact that Donald Trump surrendered today his fourth time uh, being booked for uh, felony offenses, this time at the Fulton County Jail. And of course, when he was back at Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson Airport, he spent a few minutes talking to the media, giving his usual refrain. Really believe this is a very sad day for America. This should never happen. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election, and I should have every right to do that. Patricia Murphy, it's really staggering that here we are um, in late August 2023, and that refrain continues to be what Donald Trump leads with. Yeah, and he still has a really large share of his voters and supporters who continue to believe that because he has been so consistent. He has never wavered from that from the day Um, Actually, from before the election, he warned that it would be stolen. On election night, he said that it was rigged and stolen, that he had won the election. He has never changed his tune on that. I was walking into, um, or was walking toward uh, the jail earlier today. There was a gentleman um, who was festooned in all of his Trump gear. He was going live on his own Facebook live channel and saying that he had checked in uh, to get his rental car down at the airport. And uh, the man checking him in said, hey, man, he won that election. He's going to win the next one again. And uh, then the the guy who was going live said, you better believe it. That w- it was rigged and stolen. So, I mean, this is a, a, uh, a refrain that has become a belief system and almost an identity system among Donald Trump and his supporters. So um, as much as we hear him say it and we say in our own, our, our copy, um, there was no evidence that this was stolen. It was not stolen. There are millions of Americans who believe what Donald Trump is saying. Greg, you know, the, um, the actual booking, the time that Donald Trump spent in the Fulton County Jail big motorcade that accompanied him there, all the hoopla, the media uh, televising every uh, move of Trump once he landed in Atlanta and drove to the Fulton County Jail, all was very dramatic. And yet there was something kind of almost anticlimactic about his brief (laughs) visit to the jail, back into the motorcade, back to Hartsfield. And yet it was another momentous moment in our history. Yeah, I don't want to say it's routine, but it's become, this is the fourth time he's been booked now, right? So it's become sort of like this election year campaign season ritual now because we've seen this motorcade before. We've seen this parade to ter- surrender to law enforcement. We've heard the lies about a rigged and stolen election, which we should remind you are indeed lies, right? Um, we, we've 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 heard all that before, but it, it also shouldn't feel mundane because it's a former president who's indicted on criminal charges. Shocking, right? And in particularly here in Georgia, because these these charges mean something more. These are state charges. It's, it, it obviously involved the mugshot that the federal charges didn't. But also, these can't be willed away if Donald Trump wins 
his comeback campaign. He can't pardon himself out of this one. He, could, he can't order the Justice Department to drop the investigations. Um, there, there's no way he can avoid these charges here in Fulton County. And of course, the other reason is they're sprawling. They involve 18 other co-defendants who are, some of them right now at this very moment, are probably debating whether or not they should turn against the former president to save their own hides. So uh, that's why this is so important. Can we just talk about the mugshot? I mean, number one, <laughs> the historic, unprecedented nature of a president having a mugshot. And the fact that a president would have a mugshot and still be the leader of their party, the front runner for their party's nomination once again. And quite frankly, someone you can't rule out for being president once again, but who's facing felony charges. But I also just want to talk about the actual mugshot, like his look at the camera. It's like a look of defiance and it's a classic Trump scowl like this mugshot is. I mean, and quite frankly, I'm a big fan of celebrities like owning their mugshots because they know they're never going to live them down. So in that way, like I'm not mad at Trump for giving like a very iconic mugshot, but it's just like, oh my goodness, just among the other things that are just so wild and crazy and for the history book books about Donald Trump, this mugshot ranks really high up there. Yeah, Patricia, it, it is, you know, awful to consider that a former president has got a mugshot. I chuckled, though, because of what T is talking about. What I thought when I saw that mugshot was, this is one of the evil professors who uh, oversees Slytherin House. <laughs> he just had that sort of evil, uh, look, d demonical look on his face. Well, you know, I think that um, he was probably as surprised as anybody probably it was as surreal for him as for anybody that he was actually getting a mugshot taken. Uh, the Fulton County Sheriff's Office has been very insistent that Trump and his 18 co-defendants would be treated like every other uh, criminal defendant. And that's the mugshot. That's having your height and weight, although some of the height and weights didn't seem to exactly line up with reality <laughs> that, that people were kind of guessing at. Um, but Trump was on Newsmax a little bit earlier um, or a little bit later uh, after he was uh, after he had his mugshot taken. And he he sounded really a little bit shell shocked. He said, I, I had my mugshot taken mugshot whoever thought that i would say mugshot they didn't teach me about mugshots at the wharton school of finance um i think he has felt for a long time that his um position and his former position and the fact that he is the front runner for the next election as well for the republican party that it would inoculate him from these kinds of indignities but that has just not been the case here in fulton county and as much as Fulton County has subjected him to a mugshot and having to drive through those really um, sobering gates at the Fulton County Jail. I mean, you see people drive through there um, and we've been down there all week watching people go through and not just these co-defendants. We've been watching people who are um, Fulton County citizens and through whatever circumstance or uh, choice there in the back of a squad car handcuffed going into that jail. I mean, this is serious business. Um, and Donald Trump, to Greg's point, cannot pardon himself out of this one. And I think that that reality 
is going to be dawning on him as well. This is just the first of several pieces of this Georgia story that he will not be able to wave away simply because he's the former president. You know, Greg, it it does occur to me that um, Trump, after the third uh, indictment, after after the third uh, arrest, uh, told a crowd of his supporters, um, I I keep gaining in the polls with every time I'm indicted, one more indictment and I'm sure to be the next president. And of course, that mugshot will enable, he'll be able to raise money on that mugshot, on mugs and maybe caps with that image on it. This is going to accrue in the short term to his benefit in the campaign, yes? Bill, it already is. Already, the Trump campaign has sent out fundraising emails with pictures of the mugshot on T-shirts, on hats, on mugs, you know, not surprisingly, right? It was, it was, it was, you could see it coming. And as Tia said, he owned this mugshot. Uh, you know, the best way I can describe it is this volcanic sort of fury. He's seething. He's angry. And, you know, you could write a thesis paper on all the different, analyzing all the different mugshots of the Georgia defendants, because there's the David Schaefer who's smiling and kind of trying to, you know, make it a lark of it, I guess. Then there's Rudy Giuliani, who looked like he was caught off guard by it. Um, and then there's Lauren Ellis, who it almost looks like, you know, she's smiling as well. And, and it sort of looks like a glamour shot, not to, not to um, you know, understate it. Um, and then you look at Donald Trump and he's just in there like, you know, he woke up on the bad side of the bed and he's just furious, just scowling, emotional. And already this has become a rallying cry from his supporters. I saw a post from Bruce Lavelle, who is one of the most prominent pro-Trump loyalists here in Georgia who ran for Congress a couple of years ago and was one of Donald Trump's top surrogates in the African-American community. And he just said, it's payback time, right? This, and he had this picture. And so this will become a rallying cry for conservatives. And you already saw the former president take back to Twitter. He's back on Twitter. And his kind of debut return to Twitter post was of this mugshot. Patricia? Yeah. And speaking of a rallying cry, I mean, there was a huge group of protesters tonight down at the Rice Street Jail. There were, it was almost like a carnival atmosphere. There were Trump supporters. They had huge Trump signs. They had signs that were very explicitly negative about Joe Biden. There were uh, Trump uh, supporters uh, going live on various conservative news outlets, and they were, um, you know, in they're in a real conservative news bubble, and much in the way that people think that uh, liberals are in their own conservative news bubble. But this was people down at the jail. Uh, seeing Donald Trump go past and telling their viewers, this is all a setup. This is all rigged. Um, and his supporters they were out in force. Uh, there were, um, it just felt almost like it was, you could have had a rally instead of a mugshot come out of there. And he's got his absolutely loyal supporters who took the time today to go down on his absolutely blisteringly sweltering day to go down and have a show of force. And they were in very strong company. Tia, I know you have to leave us in a, a few minutes and, and I want you to be able to talk to us just a little about the anniversary of the march. But before you do, just one quick question. How? F- what do you think is going to happen with this investigation by Jim Jordan of Fonnie Willis? What exactly? He They're talking about investigating 
possible collusion between Fannie Willis's office and the federal special counsel. But is there any there there at all? So two things. I think there's a big possibility Fannie Willis tells him very politely to take that letter and shove it. Now, she's going to say it in a very professional way, but I think she's going to say, I have an investigation I'm doing in the documents. Most of the documents you've requested, I'm not giving you. Now, he also asked for like an accounting of their federal dollars, kind of similar to what the state did to the public universities where it asked like, what money are you spending on DNI? You know, and it kind of indicates that might be where they may look to cut knowing that they're at budget time. So he did ask for whatever federal money the district attorney's office received. Um, maybe they comply with that. But again, that's probably going to be more complicated because, you know, the money might pass through the city or the county. You know, it's not all cut and dry. It might be for diversion programs and things that could be construed as uh, defunding the police if uh, Republicans were to cut the district attorney's money, but she may give them that information. So that's one thing is just the pragmatic question of how much does Fannie Willis respond to the letter. Now, the actual investigations, you know, the House Republicans have launched a lot of investigations of the Biden administration. They've tried to investigate the state of the district attorney in New York, who's investigating Trump. Of course, they're trying to investigate Jack. Smith, the special counsel at the Justice Department. So there's also a question of capacity. We know there's not a big, we know Democrats don't want it to happen. We know there are even some Republicans in swing districts who are skeptical of all these investigations. But we also know there's a hard right wing that is pushing Kevin McCarthy to authorize more and more investigations. But again, the question becomes one of just time management. When will they have time for hearings? Again, how many of these people will comply? So we'll have to see this. This Fannie Willis investigation is just going to join a very long list that House Republicans have launched. All right. Um, before we get off this and then talk about the march uh, for a couple minutes, at least, Greg, in many ways, this is a very sad day for the country. Once again, a fourth booking arrest of a former president of the United States. And on the other hand, you say this is a day in which justice prevails. He did surrender. He didn't resist the arrest. He didn't flee from the jurisdiction. He followed the law. He will be innocent until he is, if he is proven uh, guilty but in the meantime, justice seems to have won out for the time being. You're exactly right. You know, he, he never flirted with uh, defying Fannie Willis's noon Friday deadline to turn himself in. Um, he turned into a political spectacle, which was, which was, you know, a given. But at the same time, he also submitted to the criminal justice system. So I think we can, we can at least take that away as a positive uh, for the country. Well, we're clearly going to have a lot more to uh, talk about, um, about uh, the upcoming trial, uh, about Trump's other uh, uh, issues uh, in, in other jurisdictions, and we'll be getting to that in the weeks and months ahead. But what we got to do right now is uh, get to a break. Uh, as we do, I want to remind you that with all of the news and chaos surrounding the Trump indictment, it's pretty hard to keep up. We're struggling ourselves at times. The AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump indictment newsletter. 
Every Wednesday, you get the latest coverage and analysis on this case in your inbox. So you can sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. All one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. Coming up, we'll look at the March on Washington 60 years later. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Welcome back to Politically Georgia. Patricia Murphy, Greg Bluestein, Tia Mitchell uh, with us today. Uh, Tia, the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington will be celebrated this weekend, an event that on August 28, 1963, attracted some 250,000 people to Washington to listen to, among others, John Lewis, Martin Luther King Jr. It's an extraordinarily important anniversary to you. Yes, um, it is. I teamed up with our AJC colleague, Ernie Suggs, to write an article out today, Friday, you know, previewing this 60th anniversary. Um, also, we talked a lot of people to a lot of people about what lessons from the march are still relevant today. We spoke to um, two of Martin Luther King's children, Bernice King, Martin Luther King III. I also talked to several members of Congress who were at the march. That includes um, Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton, who represents D.C., Senator Angus King of Maine, and our own representative Lucy McBath, right in Marietta, who was a toddler in a stroller being pushed around by her parents at the march. And a lot of the themes we heard when we talked to people, including Ambassador Andrew Young, was that the dream is still being realized that, yes, there have been a lot of progress, a lot of strides made for the ideals that Martin Luther King laid out, um, equality, unity, treating everyone the same, no matter the color of their skin, focusing on the content of their character. But most of the people we spoke to said there's still more to go. And especially because especially Democrats believe that we've taken some steps back recently. Things like the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the limiting of how black history is taught in schools, banning books, um, even attacks on the LGBTQ community, they said are all evidence that the dream is not yet realized and there's more work to be done. Patricia, I think Tia makes an important point. Um, Obviously, the King speech is remembered for those moments in which he told us about the dream. But in fact, most of that speech was his demand that the country start um, uh, realizing that economic parity for minority Americans was crucial. A lot of it was about uh, the economy. And all of the data that we see today shows us that when it comes 
to home ownership, to um, employment, salaries, and the like, African Americans are still lagging uh, considerably behind. Yes. And when we used to hear from John Lewis, he had that very similar dichotomy at the heart of just about everything that he talked about, that so much progress had been made since the March on Washington, how different things were since he was a student fighting for just the most basic civil rights, um, and uh, but how much was still left to achieve, I think particularly for Lewis at the end of his life, um, he felt like some of those pieces of progress were slipping away. And I think as Tia said, um, that is uh, something that is now a kind of a widely held concern in not just the black community, but in progressive communities, um, that these rights that had been secured and in some cases um, almost taken for granted, particularly when it comes to abortion rights, um, that those rights are not guaranteed, that they are something to be maintained and then fought for um, for many years to come, and that the work is, uh, for, um, for a lot of communities, uh, just not done. Uh, you know, I'm the only one on this podcast, Greg Bustine old enough to have watched the March on Washington. And while we think of it today as what it ended up being, which was a great moment of harmony coming together, the reality was that the city of Washington, the white city of Washington, was in something of a panic as the day of the march approached. Hospitals were stocking extra plasma. There were store windows that were being boarded over. Police, of course, increased their presence. And so in, in those examples, we see the sort of, you know, implicit racism that took place there. And yet it did turn out to be one of the greatest, most peaceful demonstrations in, in 20th century America. And if I'm not mistaken, you can draw a direct line between the impact of the march and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which, of course, still still shape our society today. And, and as Tia and everyone else mentioned, there's still so much more work to be done and inequities to be, to be uh, you know, fixed. But at the same time, those are centerpiece legislation um, that, that came as at least a direct aftermath of that very peaceful march. And Tia, I know you got to go, but as you do, we should point out John Kennedy. President Kennedy was watching the march and the speeches from the White House, and he is alleged to have said, that guy is a heck of a speaker. <laughs> I talked to Senator King. He talked. He climbed up in a tree so he could get a better view of the stage. And he talked about, you know, hearing Mahalia Jackson. He was, as Patricia said, and as you said, Dr. King was talking about economics and the, you know, the debt owed to black Americans. But Mahalia Jackson said, tell him about the dream where that came from originally. But it's when he pivoted to talking about the dream that the speech became truly iconic. In fact, the first person to use those words was a, a female preacher in Terrell County, Georgia. Her name was Prathia Hall. Hmm. King was in her church when she gave a sermon in which she decided to start talking to God. And as she talked to God, she started every line by saying, God, I have a dream. God, I have a dream. Here's Raphael Warnock telling that story. Prathia Hall is one of many women who 
has not gotten her just due. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was a part of a uh, mass meeting here in, in rural Georgia. And while he was in that mass meeting, she began to talk to God aloud about what she desired for the world. And over and over again, she kept saying to God, I have a dream. This was in Terrell County, Georgia, uh, I believe in 1962. And so people need to know that before it was Martin's dream, it was Prathia's prayer. Prathia wow. Hall, who uh, helped Martin Luther King with one of his, with what is inarguably, I think, among his most famous speeches. Fascinating, I think. Okay, well, I know you have to leave us, um, Tia Mitchell, but thank you so much for sharing with us your thoughts on the march on Washington, of course, on the uh, Trump appearance at Fulton County Jail today. Um, we're going to take another break. When we come back, it's mailbag day, and we'll talk about who's up and who's down this week. This is Politically Georgia. Hip-hop is a product of Black people. It's a product of Black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. You know, um, I have to tell you that for many years, one of my favorite things to do in the morning is to open AJC.com and read The Jolt, put together by Patricia, by Greg, by Tia, uh, now by Adam Van Brimmer. It's a great start to get little tidbits about what's happening in political news in Georgia. You can assure yourself of getting the jolt by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. You'll get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. What a deal. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. I guarantee you, you will always know what's going on when you read the jolt. All right, it's time for mailbag. What do you got for us, Jay Black? Got the theme music just for Bill Nigga too. Um, only uh, only one question in the mailbag. I suspect that uh, Patricia and Bill um, have many more hiding away. But we got one question. And if you want to call the AJC podcast hotline at any time, we've stuffed Shane Backler over in the corner. Now that he's done producing breakdown, he's manning the calls at. 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. What do you think the future holds for the Georgia Republicans, namely uh, Governor Kemp, Brad Raffensperger, and Jeff Duncan? Kemp seems to have political aspirations, and the other two seem like they could definitely be candidates for higher uh, state or federal offices. That's uh, John in New York, if you couldn't tell by his accent. <laughs> what do you think, Patricia? Um, yes, I think that uh, Georgia is full of politicians with no shortage of ambition. It is really something to see um, the Republicans, although they have um, been in charge for quite some time uh, and took some significant losses in the Senate races in 2020, um, they have quite a deep bench of candidates who are um, clearly on their way to higher office. It's what they want. They're either able to fundraise or already have immense amounts of wealth on their own. Um, Governor Brian Kemp is somebody who we watch a whole lot, and he is 
really interesting to us because although he is a second-term governor, he does not act like a second-term governor. He does not act like a lame duck. I think that's the better way to put it. He has a very active political organization, very active fundraising operation, um, is constantly chatted about and in the mix for um, uh, not just federal office, but for president or vice president, even though it's obviously getting extremely late. He downplays that, but it's... uh, still part of the conversation. And uh, lots of others, Greg, who I think have are, it's not a question of if, but when, and uh, how, (laughs) how are they possibly going to get past all the other Republicans who are equally ambitious? Yeah, I think everything flows from Governor Kemp at the top. He's the most popular Republican in Georgia, according to polls, that things could change in the next three years. But right now, he's in the catbird seat. And if he decides to run for US Senate, it's going to scare away most other contenders, he can't run for governor again. He's term limited. Um, but we do know Marjorie Taylor Greene has floated the idea of of also running for the Senate, even if uh, Governor Kemp is in the in that race. And that would be quite the um, the battle between two different factions of the Republican Party. But beyond those, you mentioned Brad Raffensperger. Um, I could see him running for Senate if Governor Kemp doesn't, and I could also see him in the governor's race along with former Senator Kelly Leffler along with Attorney General Chris Carr, of course, who's been already telling people that he's running for governor, and along with Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, who might be a co-frontrunner at this early stage given his statewide office and given the amount of personal wealth that he and his family can pour into the race. And that's just at the top of the race. And you also mentioned former Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who is not far from the spotlight. He, of course, just testified in the Donald Trump indictment uh, to the to the closed door grand jury just a few days ago, and he's been writing a lot of op eds and promoting his book GOP 2.0 about a post Trump Republican future. I don't. I think the road is a lot tougher for him to run for public office again in Georgia, given given that he did not run for reelection uh, for lieutenant governor, and given that there's so many other names I just mentioned who are who are already kind of maneuvering to run for higher office. But I, I think the the XLG will continue to try to influence politics from the outside. Yeah, you know, Patricia, Jeff Duncan was one of the uh, the first to really jump on the anti-Trump uh, bandwagon really here in Georgia. And for a while, um, he was getting a lot of attention for that. But um, because Brian Kemp decided to uh, uh, take out, you know, to, to uh, uh, fight back uh, in the sense that he, although he ignored Trump, he won the election by such a wide margin. It was um, extraordinary. Um, I mean, others seem to have eclipsed Duncan as a leader of GOP 2.0. Yeah, a lot of that had to do with the fact that Jeff Duncan doesn't really have a constituency inside the apparatus of the GOP. Um, Governor Brian Kemp, uh, when he ran for re-election, the number of lawmakers figuratively and literally lined up behind him when he would have campaign events. There were dozens and dozens of state lawmakers ready to be behind Brian Kemp, ready to help him get elected. Um, Jeff Duncan was quite the opposite. He spoke out so quickly and so vocally against Donald Trump. I think people uh, saw him as a little bit of a scold. They felt like he was too ambitious, too um, kind of too much 
maybe not enough of the club almost. He just never quite felt like one of the guys down there. And it's really a one of a guy's, one of the guy's parties. And so um, when he decided to leave, I felt like it had less to do with whether he could get elected by voters um, and more to do with his actual role within the Georgia GOP itself. So he will, um, I know he continues to uh, be interested in being involved publicly in the public conversation. But as Greg said, running for office now will in, would involve um, lining up donors, lining up uh, supporters, lining up um, endorsements. And it's a, it, it's a space right now where Jeff Duncan doesn't have a lot of deep opportunity. All right, John from New York, you got more than <laughs> you expected, I'm sure, from uh, Patricia and Greg. Okay, it's time for Who's Up and Who's Down as the week comes to an end. So ominous. All right, Tia Mitchell already told us this, we could share that her up and down are both Donald Trump, uh, obvious for obvious reasons. One, he'll make a lot of money for his campaign off of today to he had his fourth uh, arrest and uh, booking. Greg Bluestein, your ups and downs. Yeah, let's start with down. My down for the week are the eight other candidates on that debate stage because we're not talking about them. The, the world has already moved on from that debate, which I know we did a great episode on it from Milwaukee and from from everywhere else, uh, from, from back in Georgia just a couple hours ago. It seems like you know I've not gone to sleep since that debate. But at the same time, uh, you know, right now the focus is on Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, and you better believe that he was very strategic about deciding when he was going to turn himself in. And it happened to be right after a debate where his rivals all shared the stage. And now, again, they're being forgotten. They are my who's down for the week. Patricia? My who's down for the week, I hate to be duplicative, um, but is Donald Trump. Um, to see him drive through those gates at the Fulton County Jail was just totally surreal. I'm sure he had his own moments of feeling like it was totally surreal as well. Um, that jail is not a nice place to be. He said that it was a terrible experience. And I'm sure he was being honest in that. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say honest for once. I'm sure he's been honest at other points. Um, but it was uh, really a full circle moment of this entire 2020 election and um, in the in the least positive way possible for him. You know, um I wanted to say that my up for the week are all of you reporters who baked in the hot sun, <laughs> in some cases for days. Patricia, you at least two days. I know, Greg, you from about seven o'clock this morning out there at the Fulton County Jail. Thank goodness you are freed from that. But I'll pick another one. Pat Labatt, the sheriff of Fulton County, he said, we will treat Donald Trump like any other person being arrested and booked and he was true to his word. Trump was fingerprinted. He had his mugshot uh, made. He was arrested as any other uh, person brought into that jail would be. Now he was released on his own recognizance, but that's as uh, I think you could expect. Labatt did the correct thing in that case as well. So he really is my winner in that regard uh, this week. Um, and I have to say, I too, think Donald Trump is really the guy who is um, the loser of the week being booked into the jail. Um, 
Plus, there's not going to be another Harry Potter movie, so there's no <laughs> chance for him to be cast as the head of Slytherin House, despite his uh, mugshot. So uh, I say Donald Trump, I agree with all of you, is really a loser this week. Patricia, who's your up person for the week? So even though Greg thinks all of the other candidates are who's down, I'm going to say that Nikki Haley is who's up. I think she had a very strong debate. She just needed to have a few good moments to get the attention of some donors. I think get the attention of some potential voters who are um, looking for an alternative potentially to Donald Trump. Um, I think that she equipped herself very well, had a really good night, and she's got to be very pleased ending the week as she is. So she's my who's up. And she's coming back to Georgia in a couple yeah. of weeks. As we who's up for you, Greg? Speaking of donors. Uh, my who's up is the same as yours, Bill. So I was so disappointed when you stole my thunders, Pat Labatt. Um, but I'll, I'll give a different <laughs> twist on it. Uh, you know, it was a very tense environment at the jail. Uh, I was only there that one day. Patricia was there multiple days. Our colleague Tamar Hallerman was there multiple days. We had a whole team of other reporters who were there a few days. There were some tense moments, uh, especially particularly when Rudy Giuliani came out of the, the jail um, on Wednesday. Things you know, could have gone real sideways. There is um, some tense moments with protesters and reporters and just a lot of things could have gone differently. But Pat Labatt and his, and his, uh, his, his deputies did a very good job of keeping order and keeping what could have gone awry very civil and very safe. So Pat Labatt gets my who's up for the week. Okay, that's it. We're out of time for this edition of Politically Georgia. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. As you know, we release new episodes of Politically Georgia on Wednesdays and Fridays or whenever big news breaks. We did it just yesterday in the aftermath of the presidential debate. So we'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Greg and Patricia, please go get some rest and take care. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.